Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week, we continue our series in the Gospel of John. God provides us a way to become His children. And while we don't have to accept the reality of Jesus, that doesn't make God's promises false. Here's Pastor Garrett. So, this this flow through John, and we're back in John chapter 1, and we're just going to keep keep connected to this foundation this what it's really called a prologue these first 18 verses where it's an introduction of this foundation of truth that that helps us understand if we're going to know what God is inviting us to believe so that when we ask that big question are you going to trust God or anything else or not trust him this is what he's inviting you to see about himself and then about us. Because where he's, where he's drawing us through this truth is not to some doctrine, but to a person. We've seen that it's a, it's a fellowship, it's a relationship that's on display. That God presents himself in just this way. That this, this whole introduction of the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning. He wasn't created. He's been forever pre-existent. He's just been there. But now we see the the creative power of that word. And later you're going to see John the Baptist. What is he called? what, What is he in the wilderness? A voice in the wilderness. Do you think that's by accident that you see those connections, that you have the word on display revealed as Jesus, and then a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the word? Those things are meant to be, so that when we are asking ourselves or others, you know, will you take God at his word? Will you then see the claims of Jesus? And that's why these signs that are presented, there's seven of them, the statements of I am and, and, and the expression of identity. You see, belief is defined by who God is, his revelation of that of that identity in the person of Jesus, and, and that's the starting point. And, and it's why we have to be careful in our culture, because that's not the starting point of culture. You can hold to that if you want, but it doesn't mean it's true, and it doesn't mean that the claims of Jesus have any bearing or relevance for others, and so belief then is, is sorted out by, well, this is what I think, this is what I hold to, and, and then this move then towards God from that direction, but that's not going to find God because you're missing the substance of what it means to know him in the person of Jesus. And so John here is being very careful, and even we can say very precise and specific as he lays this out for us. But what we saw was this expression of himself in in life and light, that he was the life of men in creating them. He was the light of men, the, the revelation then of what it means to be that creation. That that's always been God's intent. And so there is this intrinsic, inherent relationship as a result of being his creation created in his image. And that's very important to understand. But that's, that's only the beginning. Because the, then the greatest expression of, uh, of, that, of that truth then is, is, is found in this invitation to know him and to be his. So that 
when you see the description that he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They didn't, they didn't have this working knowledge of saying this is, this is the one who has given himself. This is uh, this introduction, if you will, this movement of God becoming human so that we can know to what extent he, he really does offer this life to us. And so the world didn't recognize him. And in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And it's always interesting to me to see commentaries on this verse, by the way, that somehow John was anti-Jewish and, and, and making comments or making a statement about uh, some stance that I don't see that here at all. What I see is simply this, the, 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 the place in which he came and and, and the, the means by which he was revealed was certainly through the Jewish people. And, and while there were those that rejected him, Christianity started as this movement of Jewish people who believed him and, and took, uh, took this promise of Messiah and said, he is the one through whom this promise is realized. And so, the, but it was a dilemma for those who don't accept him and receive him. I think the point here is that to those he came who were a part of that natural heritage with, within the, the, the Jewish nation, they had to receive him. There's no automatic. And that's the point that John makes throughout this gospel. When we get to chapter 8, we'll see that specifically mentioned again. You have to receive him. That's one of the beautiful things about God's creation. He doesn't make us, he doesn't make us uh, 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 puppets. He doesn't make us just driven by those things that are automatic. He, he gives us the opportunity to choose to believe, to accept what is being offered. And in fact, if that's not true, John's silly for writing this. If we're nothing more than, than autom automatic or automatons or some kind of, of uh, um, other driven organisms or mechanisms, there's, there's no point in saying I'm writing this to you so that you will believe on the one that has been sent, believing that he's the son of God and the promised one. That would be a pointless point, really. But instead, he says, no, this is what's happening. He's coming to the world. You're here. You came into being through him. He's now coming into the world that he's made to reveal the purpose for which you not only are here, but that he wants you to be his. And so in, in this world we live in where the, the, you know, we're always driven to know where we've come from, the origin of life. We want to know the meaning of life. We want to know about morality. How do we know right from wrong? And we want to know destination. The, 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 the ultimate question of um, where does it all lead? In the search for those things, we can start that discovery or say that we'll know things without acknowledging God, but God's saying it's impossible. And that's what Jesus represents, is the impossibility of somehow getting to, those, to the answers to those questions without God and without the, 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 the truth of that creation, that the Word was eternal, but we're all very finite, but yet He's created us for eternity in the sense that through Christ then we understand 
his plan for eternity. So in verse 12, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Through Christ, then, you have the definition, this, this not only do you have the questions of purpose and meaning, but now you have these very important questions of identity. Who am I? Why am I here? What does all of this mean? And it's, it's heart-wrenching, heart-breaking to see a world so eager to distance themselves from God, and at the same, at the same speed, they then to, uh, lack the, the answers to who am I and why am I here? Why is this important? What does it all mean? And so we find more and more people struggling. And this week, there were several stories I ran into that illustrated that they're struggling at younger ages than ever before becoming exposed to and active in things in fifth and sixth grade. And this was, uh, this was a um, kind of an anecdotal story from a sixth grade teacher that said, you cannot believe what my sixth grade students are struggling with, the challenges before them. And, and just whatever you can imagine within our culture, that's what she was describing well, how does it get to that point that we struggle with such fundamental questions? And, and, and the, the answer is that we have walked away from the fundamentals. We, we've walked away from the foundation that God has, has said is, is clearly before us. That's why Romans 1, you're without an excuse. The more we see, and I keep, you know, I say this over and over again, the, the, the more ability we have to, to make the big things small and to see the details, and the ability we have to make the small things big and see the details, the more and more we see evidence for a designer. And at the same time, with the, with the same evidence in hand, we hear more and more from the culture around us that we don't need a God to explain that. We have natural selection. We have time and we have chance. And well, what about the precision in the universe? And, and the prevailing theory is that, well, this is just one of, uh, of countless universes. Well, what evidence do we have for any other universe? Well, we don't have any of that yet. But we'll find it. Because we know, see, if you, if you, if you make the odds, start, start making the odds greater that something like us would happen somewhere else, you diminish the odds of us happening meaning God put on display all of these precise measurements and variables that exist so that we exist. And instead of looking at that and going, wow, you know, it's hard to get away from that. That's the big, making the big small. And of course, when I mentioned making the small big within the, the DNA molecule, string, four, four characters that make up it's part of all of our DNA, and it's a 3.5 billion uh, characters in this one word. With all that information, with all of the things necessary to, to accomplish and to function, and yet we look at that and say, nope, it just happened by accident. Those are the things that are mind-boggling. It's why the one Frank Turek says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. How do you get there from here? How do you look at that and say, nope, 
I, I, just, I just want to push it away and dismiss it and not even give it. You don't even give it a fair hearing because by definition, you're not allowed to have a supernatural cause for a natural outcome. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become his children. Now, I go back to that question. Who gives the right for us to be his children? Simple. Go ahead and say it. You can say Jesus or God, you're going to get it right. Who gives the right to be his children? God does. So are you going to believe God or are you going to choose not to? Because he's saying right here, he hasn't even told us the name of the word yet. He's just laying out the foundation of God's revelation, this progress that we're making to the person of Jesus, that this is his desire. He wants you to believe in something, in this name. He wants you to believe and receive what he's offering, this life, eternal life, and to be his children. You going to believe God or not? And really, that's what we have to ask. And it's what starts this journey of faith, this journey of being his, but it's what must be asked every day. God, am I going to take you at your word or not? So it doesn't just define us at the beginning. It shapes us every day on that path and through that journey. So in verse 13, he says, these are children not born in the way that we want to think about it, not born by, by the work of natural process. It's not of human decision or of a husband's will, but by God's doing. So what do you hear John saying here? He gives you the right to be his. He's going to do it. And, and, and can I explain how he does it? I can tell you the means. I can tell you that Jesus is the way this happens. I can tell you that, that everything that he accomplishes is, is the means that how God does this is amazing because he chooses to do it, and I have to believe him. And you're going to have the same dilemma when you come up against this, and the word became flesh, this eternal, pre-existing, not created word now becomes flesh. He becomes human. And so we have this fully divine, fully human, and please don't ask me to explain how he does that. I don't have that answer, and I'm glad I don't have that answer. But there are lots of things. This is one of, again, the dilemmas that we have is at that point, I'm going to choose to either say it's true because God says so, and the evidence flows into that truth so that Yes, I might have a difficulty understanding it, but that doesn't mean I have to have difficulty in accepting it. I heard one guy say, you know, there's things like consciousness and, and there's things like energy and, and, and even gravity. We know how to define them maybe with a formula. We can tell you what energy does. We can talk about consciousness, but what is it? Can, can we really define it and say, I know what it is and can can, can uh, put it in those kinds of terms, and we can't. So because we don't understand it, don't accept it. You don't have to accept gravity. Does that mean it stops working? I wouldn't put it to the test, just saying. Well, that's what, that's what John is saying here. 
you don't have to accept it, but it doesn't mean it's not true, that this is how God revealed himself and put it on display and, and then invites us to believe. So that when he becomes flesh and dwells among us, that it means something. And then we begin this, this journey of, here's, here's the, the invitation. Precisely, exactly. You know, I mean, that, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to wonder what God intends to do. He tells you. So the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And again, important truths that I don't know how God accomplished this, but this is what he did. He, he, the, 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 the word incarnate, God incarnate is Jesus. That means he took on flesh. He became flesh for us. He became human. Philippians 2 also speaks of this, that Jesus, even though he was fully divine, didn't see that as something to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself, becoming a, a servant, becoming a, a person, taking on flesh, so he could be obedient unto death on a cross for us. And so this mystery here in this verse is, is revealed, it's unveiled. The word became flesh. He, he, came, he came and lived among us. We have seen his glory. It's real. He really is. You, you don't assign glory to, to this, just this natural expression. This is what John is saying. He was truly the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Everything that God is, he represented. He was full of this. This is what he was. And so John, in, in case you're wondering, he's not leaving any room. There's nothing to wiggle around. There's no way to, to assign something else to Jesus or to put him in an, another category or to say, well, maybe that's just, you know, his doctrine. No, he's saying he is the one and only. And so John is not presenting options even the best of many, he's presenting the one and only. And so when we see full of grace and truth that everything that God gives is in Jesus, everything that God defines about himself and who we are and, and our relationship to him is in Jesus Christ. And, and so, you're going to believe God? That's what John's asking ultimately in all of this. Are you going to believe him and take him at his word? So John the Baptist, this is now this, again, the coming back to, we saw this earlier back in verse uh, 5. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Pre-existing and yet he comes after me. So someone just... He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. You can't win that race. And at the same time, you do. I mean, he's after me, but he's before me. And so that's why he's putting this in here. He said, John the Baptist declared this, even without fully being able to explain it, 
It's Jesus, the pre-existing Word of God, who became flesh and, and came as, the, as that man younger than John the Baptist in those terms. But he said, that's why I'm here. I'm pointing to him. One more, or let's see, we'll do two more verses. So out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. Grace upon grace is literally. So here's, here's what God put on display in him. You don't have to worry about earning. You can't. Grace means you can't. It, by definition, means he gives. Unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to deserve it. So out of his fullness, we have all received what? Grace after grace after grace. And it's already been given. Now, that's a pretty big concept for me because he's saying, so as I walk and, and discover this grace, it was already, it was already predetermined to, to come through Jesus Christ. He wants you to be in a place, and, and Paul says this in, in some different ways, as, and I think it's as he deals with some of these things in describing God's grace that, that is available and what it means in Romans 5 and 6. Where sin increases, God, the grace increases all the more. Well, should we go on sinning? If grace is going to be bigger when my sin is bigger, maybe I should sin more. No, grace means that we don't do that. Grace means that we've been given a new nature. So I've been born into Christ. I've been, and, that, and that's where John is going to go as well. So in verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let me just say this is not a contrasting comparison here. Some translations will actually have the word but, the little conjunction, uh, conjunction of contrast between um, right after Moses, and it will say, but grace and truth came through Jesus. This is not what this is saying. That's not there in the original, by the way. He's just saying the law was indeed through Moses. He can't provide anything other than an expression of those instructions. Grace and truth has always been through Jesus Christ, and that was forever. The law came in this window of time where God was introducing and revealing this desire for relationship. Always remember a shadow a shadow picture of the fullness of Jesus, but grace and truth was already defined in him. He just said, he just said that it was already given. It was already there, full of grace and truth. And, and boy, try to wrap your, I know me, these are my T-Rex arms right now trying to say, but I, but I, I love it. I, I find this, that phrase that, you know, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean I can't accept it. And so, this is, this is pretty much what I'm doing is I am saying in a different way what can be said because you, you, are you going to believe God or not? Grace and truth is through Jesus Christ. So the law represented instruction. Salvation is through Jesus. God's grace was on display there, but how was he doing it? He was foreshadowing. He was giving them a picture of the, the ultimate sacrifice who is Jesus Christ and and John's going to talk about this. And so we know that grace and truth is through Jesus. Wow. So the law is good, real, and, and it existed. It was in that window, and yet grace and truth is forever. And it was always on display in Jesus Christ. I should do verse 18, but I'm not. 
it is a, it's a transition. No one's ever seen God, but God, the only, or, uh, but God, the only Son who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's, it's the transition into verse 19 that we'll look at with John the Baptist. So all the way through, John is, you know, he could really stop here and say this is the substance of it, but he's not. He's going to say, now I want you to examine the claims of Jesus. I want you to examine what he says is true of himself, how he presents himself, the signs that point to that, that revelation and that, that proclamation, and then to say, will you believe? Because ultimately, that's what's at stake. God doesn't ask you to perform. He doesn't ask you for your religion. He doesn't ask you for anything else. He asks you to take him at his word and to put your faith in Jesus, his son, so that he can give you the right to be his child so that you can be the recipient of his grace. So what are you going to do with Jesus? Now, it's always, it always strikes me that while sounding so simple, this, this apparently is very, very difficult. I'm thankful that I didn't experience the difficulty. Because I was around people who just said, this is the way it is. Now, we, we didn't, in all fairness at that time, we, I don't think my parents, we, we just didn't have the push to, to really examine from a defensive, you know, where you defend the faith and talk about it in those terms. We just you know, I, I, we sang as a kid. I, in the car, we would sing, um, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Now, that sounds oversimplistic, but, but when it comes to the person and claims of Jesus and what it means to believe in him, that is what we have to go on. God has been the one to say, this is how it works. And I don't know about you. Well, I do, but... We know together that that is very important and very significant. So when we come to the Word of God, we're either accepting it as that truth that puts on display what He has promised, and then the invitation to take Him at His Word, or we're going to dismiss it. And that's the danger of dismissing those places that we're not comfortable with, because then we find ourselves redefining this faith that is described. And, and offered in Jesus Christ. But what an exciting journey. And John can't wait. So 18 verses, and he lays all that out, and I'm thinking, go, go, let's go deeper. Nope, not going to do it, he says. We're going to go to John the Baptist next, and we're going to look at him and see what he says. We're going to start in right away. And, and as, a, as one who's still saying, how did you do this? Can't you give us a little more? He's going to say, nope, we're going to go right to the source, the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so on that, uh, on the other hand, I'm very, very thankful he does that as well. Maybe I couldn't handle anymore. I'm pretty sure probably I can't handle anymore. So we'll just, we'll just accept how God leads him to, to uh, continue to reveal that truth to us. Our song of response is that I need you, and that... I, Again, this is always in the backdrop of just taking God at his word. Will you, will you believe him? Will you examine the claims of Jesus? 
maybe you're saying, well, you know, and don't take others. Go, go ahead in John and look at what he says about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. So, so that's, that's the truth, and, and he's inviting you to examine those claims and to say, you know what? I believe him, and I'm going to put my trust in him, and then God gives you the right to be his child. Father, right now, I, I really believe that, that that is our prayer. We're not going to pretend. We're not going to act like we somehow can, can navigate and move through these times and these days and circumstances and situations, relationships without you. So to draw near, knowing that at that moment, temptations lose their power. The enemy has nothing for for, for the, the place that you have provided to be yours, to hear your voice, to take you at your word, to worship you. So, Father, lead us in that truth and in those realities. And even if I don't understand them, that I can learn to accept them and live in them. And, Lord, for those who are taking what they don't understand and creating distance between you and them, I, I pray right now you would melt those places away, break down those walls, and we do pray it in the name of your son, Jesus, that there would be a, 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 a renewed or maybe a new place that they hear your voice drawing them near as you declare your love for them through Jesus Christ. And Father, I, I pray right now that those minds and hearts would be open. Thanks for this time together. Thanks for the, the truth of your word. We're going to give you all the praise in Jesus' name.